You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, great to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the spiritual fight. And right now, today, somewhere, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks, great to be back here with you. And uh, thanks so very much for continually tuning in this program. Uh, It just means a lot that you're part of this podcast and uh, very, very, very much appreciate it. I am. I wanted to get to something today, and I've been told, you know, don't date your episodes because when you date your episodes, people think they're kind of out of step when they listen to them. But this is kind of timeless in a sense. It just so happens that the coming weekend is a Sanctity of Life Sunday. And that means, of course, that, you know, there are things going on all over America, including in Washington, D.C., and including at my state capital, the Mississippi State Capitol, tomorrow. And I'm praying at that event, going to be preaching a little bit of this message on Sunday. And of course, there's a lot to celebrate this year. I mean, the whole Dobbs decision and the expunging of the horrific decision of Roe v. Wade is uh, is on the docket. And so we, we celebrate. And one of the things we can do, uh, particularly those of us who are here in Mississippi, the Dobbs case arose out of uh, where we were at Week after week, I mean, for 22 years, I've been heading out to this abortion clinic, standing in front, trying to woo ladies away from that place uh, so they can love their lives and love their babies. Uh, Very uh, hard thing to do for all that time. But I got friends that were out there nearly twice that long. Uh, people even go to my church. And so we very much appreciate those who have been in the pro-life fight. And of course, Roe v. Wade is great news for Mississippi because we have laws on the books now that basically prevent abortion in our state. A lot of states like that. And as I say a lot, not a lot, but at least enough to really make a dent in the abortion dynamic of this country. But some of you are still very much in the fight in your state. So thank you. This is a fight worth being in, if you know what I mean. want to uh, share with you a new sponsor for the program today. I got a friend named Ethan Kelly. He does something called Providence Capital Management, and he just decided he wants to be a sponsor of this program. Uh, Ethan with Providence Capital Management specializes in personal and institutional investment management. And so you can visit his website at providencecm.com. That's providencecm.com to learn more. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with Ethan, it's Ethan at ProvidenceCM.com. I'm a big Ethan Kelly fan, and I trust him. So check out Ethan Kelly at Providence Capital Management. All right, so got some things I want to do today on this program. One of them is to look at a passage of Scripture. One of the things we're doing, and we'll probably carry this out uh, for the next few episodes, one of the things we're doing in my congregation right now is thinking through the uh, what you would call the playlist of Jesus. Basically, it's the Psalms, and these Psalms are really fascinating to me. You know, most uh, many of them written by David, and of course, they're all poetry. They're all songs, and uh, it becomes eventually 
what they use in the second temple. Now recall, the first temple is destroyed, and all the people get deported to Babylon. But now in Babylon, they begin getting together the books of the Old Testament, and they get together the Psalms. And uh, they finish that when they get back to the second temple, but those hymns are basically ways to remind the people, this is how you can stay out of exile. This is how you can keep from uh, your temple to be destroyed again. If we'll live the life that Psalm, the 150 Psalms uh, talk about, if we can praise God, if, if we can lift our hearts to Him, if we can be passionate about Yahweh, then we're never going back in exile again. Our temple will never be destroyed again. And so I, th I think this playlist of Jesus, so Jesus would have had these memorized, all his people would have had these memorized. Uh, everybody that goes to the second temple to worship, worship would have had these memorized. These psalms are incredible. And that's why I love to spend, uh, well, honestly, I'm in, in about 15 of them a day. I sing five of them. There's been a great a metrical psalter that's come out and it has tunes. And actually this morning I was actually on the, on the uh, website at seedbed.com. I was on the website and I was clicking into the tunes to these songs and I sing through five of them and then I pray through 10 of them. And that is kind of the backbone. It's not the only thing I do, not by any stretch, but it's the backbone of what I do devotionally every morning. And so Psalms are pretty important to me. And uh, the Psalm 139 is frequently used uh, when talking about abortion. And the reason is this incredible group of passages, 13 through, looks like to be 16 or so. Let me read it to you. Psalm 139. For you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I'm awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. There's many places you could go in the Psalms as well as in the Bible to make a case for being pro-life, but that's a powerful four verses right there. I don't know if you have ever heard of the university professor named Dr. Chris Gabbard. He used to believe that some humans should be allowed or even encouraged to die. In his own words, Gabbard grew up prizing intellectual aptitude and really detested what you would call poor mental functioning. So this led him to adopt the ethics of a guy named Peter Singer, who's a contemporary philosopher who argues that society has a right to exclude people who are not persons. For instance, Singer and Gabbard believe that severely disabled people should either be killed or, you know, just allowed to die. But then Gabbard had a son, and this son radically changed his viewpoint. During childbirth, his son experienced permanent brain damage. And even today, he's a blind quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. But he writes about the first time he saw that newborn son in intensive care unit. He said, after his birth, I was deeply ambivalent, having been persuaded by Peter Singer's advocacy of infanticide. But you know, there was my son, a sleeper unconscious, on a ventilator, motionless under a heat lamp, tubes, wires everywhere, monitors alongside his steel and transparent plastic crib. 
What most stirred me was the way he resembled me. Nothing had prepared me for this shock of recognition, for he was a boy in my own baby pictures, the image of me when I was an infant. So Gabbard changed his mind, and today's an advocate for the inherent dignity of severely disabled human beings. And he points to a Gallup poll that says nearly half of Americans supported assisted suicides. Many such well-meaning people would like to end my son's suffering, he says, but they do not stop to consider whether he is actually suffering. At times he's uncomfortable, yes, but the only real pain here seems to be the pain of those who cannot bear the thought that people like my son exist. <laughs> Y'all, that change of heart is huge. And we've got to be mindful that that change of heart is a serious possibility for anyone that can be convinced that people are made in the imago dei, otherwise known as the image of God. Remember the prophet Micah? He says, shall I give my firstborn for my life, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And there's a response. That's 6-7. 6-8 says, it's been told you, old man, what's good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But the kings of Israel sacrificed their children to the gods, and in the detestable Ben-Hinnom, which would have come to be a most interesting connotation for Israel in the days of Jesus. Now, I remember it well. Uh, about five years ago, we were in Jerusalem, and we were on a bus going around Jerusalem. And as we're going down a highway, forget what highway it was, the, uh, the Jewish tour guide who has said to me, by the way, anytime you want to grab the mic, grab the mic. But the Jewish tour guide says, so on your left is the Valley of Hinnom, on your right is, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You said, did you say the Valley of Hinnom? He said, yes. I said, may I speak? He hands me the microphone. So I'm now broadcasting to the whole bus. I don't know how many, maybe 30 of us. I said, ladies and gentlemen, look over to your left. You're looking at hell. <laughs> yeah, the hell. Initially, that's where the followers of Baal sacrificed their children. Now, the followers of Baal means Jewish followers of Baal sacrificed their children by fire to the god Moloch. Yeah, you read about in 2 Chronicles 28, 33, Jeremiah 7 and 19. The valley later became such an embarrassment, people couldn't believe they'd done that to their children, done that for Baal, done that for Moloch. And they just, they were against. So what they did was they began using it for basically a garbage dump for Jerusalem. So here's where the dead bodies and animals and of criminals and of rubbish were cast and consumed by a constant fire. So that became, that became the image of the place of everlasting destruction in Jewish tradition. That's hell. And y'all were zooming down. And when I had the microphone with that, and I said, that was the lowest point in Jewish history. Now, I'm a Christian. I hand the mic back to a Jew. He looks at me and says, that's about right. That's what he said. That's about right. Oh, my word. So, so listen, I, uh, years ago, I, I had a good friend that was uh, talking with a bunch of ladies who had had abortion. She had had an abortion out of our church. 
And she decided one of the best things she could do in ministry is talk to other ladies who had had their abortions. And across several weeks, have a program called Surrendering the Secret. And then you'd have a last day where you'd invite in somebody to give a brief message, and they would have named their child that they had aborted and offer that child to Jesus. It was it was something that was, you know, very precious to these ladies. It was symbolic of basically saying, I want to have healing by naming this child and giving this child to Jesus. So I was asked to do the speaking. She wanted me to speak. So I go in there and I say, all right, the first part of Psalm 139 seems to be about the omniscience of God. You've searched me and you know me, you don't want to sit, you understand, you scrutinize my path, you're acquainted with all my ways, you know it all, you've encircled me, you placed your hand upon me, you know me. First part of this is about omniscience. The second part is about presence. You're everywhere present. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And so a good bit of this is about presence. Uh, and, and then it goes back to omniscience down at verse 15. My frame's not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw my formless substance. Uh, it's about God knows. He knows everything. Then it ends up with omnipresence, or excuse me, what I call omnipersonal. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Put me to test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Now, I do all that, but you'll notice I skip something. And I skip something I called omnipotence. Omnipotence, that's all powerful. And the most powerful thing God does is right there in verse 13 and 14. You created my inmost being. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. Omnipotence. The most powerful thing that God does is not say, hey, I'm going to let that mountain fall into the heart of the sea, or let me cause an earthquake, or let me send a tornado, or let me calm the sea. That's, that's not the most powerful thing he does. The most powerful thing God ever does is he creates a baby in the womb. And so, so Jesus created in the womb, in the womb of Mary, the most powerful thing God ever did. When he starts salvation history, Abraham in the mother's womb. You get to places like uh, Moses and, and Jesus in the womb, and you, you come to, to uh, great saints up and down the line all through Christian history. But I'm thinking right now, Jesus in the womb, Paul in the womb, Mary in the womb. I mean, these are powerful things God does. I'm mindful. Back in the church I used to go to here in town, Wells Methodist Church, and uh, the, the, the pastor there, Keith, used to say, okay, let's baptize this baby. And then he would ask for the baby, and he'd walk around the church. And there'd be oohing and on at the baby. He'd go back up to the front of the church. He'd hold the baby high so that everybody could see that child. And he would say, behold, the mighty acts of God. Verse 13 and 14 is about omnipotence. You've got to fight for the power of God in the womb. And y'all, that's what the pro-life movement ought to be all about. And I'm so happy that my church has for 22 years stood out in front of that clinic. We're only 22 years old. Um, 
we used to have Wesley Biblical Seminary students go out there. If they wanted an A out of one of my classes, any class they took with me, if you wanted an A, you had to go with me to the prison or go with me out to the abortion clinic. That's how you got A's. I, I think by that kind of thing, we're one of the most pro-life seminaries in the nation. Uh, we have a couple of students years ago that started going, and they went out to the abortion clinic. I, I say I've been going for 22 years. They've been going out for 38 years. I mean, precious stuff. I had a friend, one of the days I was out there in front of the abortion clinic, I had a friend named Dana, and she stopped a young couple walking out of the abortion clinic. Uh, he was carrying a sonogram picture of the baby, of the woman's baby. And Dana said, ooh, 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 let me see a picture of your baby. And so that started a heart-to-heart -heart talk that lasted uh, several minutes. And after a while, it looked like maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe she needs some fortification here. She kind of looked over at me, and I think maybe she wanted me to come and pray with the couple. So I, I moved in and asked if I could hold their hands and pray, and they looked open to that. So I grabbed their hands, lifted up their situation to Jesus. Then she said something most profound. She said, he is standing with me in this, and he ain't the one who got me pregnant. <laughs> so I looked at him. I grabbed his arm, pastorally, of course. I grabbed his arm and said, you are a man. This is what men do. Now, unwood births in Mississippi around 54% of all babies born right now. It's, it's well above 80% amongst African Americans. I mean, men are having sex and running away from responsibility. But here, here was a guy running to the responsibility, running into the responsibility. I mean, may his tribe increase. I just want to say, we, uh, we want to be disciples uh, and be pro-life people as those disciples because this is a huge issue in our day, and we have lived in a time where it has become that huge issue, and we've got to be disciples where we are. We've got to be disciples in the times in which we are born We've got to take it seriously. Now, the Mississippi Attorney General, she was the one, I mean, her office argued uh, the Dobbs case that overturned Roe v. Wade. And she was in Washington, D.C. for the March of Life. And uh, she had, she published, and I found them today, she had her remarks on a piece of paper. It was, it was by email, so it was on email. And so I looked over that and I thought, you know, I like the uh, I like the podcast to be able to hear this. So here it is, Lynn Fitch in Washington D.C. for the March of Life. So it is our charge today, in a new Dobbs era, she said, to channel that same determination, hope, and prayer that has led you to march these streets for fifty years. Use it to make changes around us that give hope and love to women and children. Use it to support women when they're pregnant and when they're nurturing a young family. Use it to improve child support enforcement, to make fathers equally responsible for their children. Use it to upskill, educate, and provide resources for women. Use it to encourage fathers to be active and involved in building healthy families. Use it to fix adoption of foster care systems that fail our children. This is the journey we're set upon. The day the Supreme Court told us Roe v. Wade was behind us. Lynn Fitch said, I'm proud to walk with you in this new Dobbs era. Together, we will lead the way to a society that truly empowers women and promotes life to an America where the dignity inherent in all of life is respected and cherished by all. Thank you and God bless you, said. But y'all, let's not stop with America. 
Let's go to the Western world. Let's go around the globe with this dignity inherent to all life. I don't want to say one more thing. I'm, 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 I'm almost done. I want to say one more thing. John Piper in World Magazine said there's a difference between coronary Christians and adrenal Christians. A lot of us get excited about things and we'll get excited, maybe show up one time and never, never again. I tell you, there's all kinds of issues out there that we have to get involved with and stay involved with across years, even decades. He said, now adrenaline's not bad. Piper says it gets me through a lot of Sundays, but it lets you down on Mondays. The heart is another kind of friend. It just keeps on serving through good days, bad days, happy days, sad days, high days, low days, appreciated and unappreciated. You know, John Piper says that heart never lets me down. It never says, I don't like your attitude, Piper. I'm taking a day off. It just keeps humbly love dubbing along. <laughs> love dubbing along. Coronary Christians are like the heart in the causes they serve. Adrenal Christians are like adrenaline, spurt of energy, then fatigue. What we need in the cause of racial justice and justice for the unborn is coronary Christians, marathoners, not just sprinters, people who find the pace to finish the race. Y'all, this abortion pro-life race is anything but finished. We've taken some great steps, but there's so much more to do. I would ask you as disciples, to take seriously the opportunities for pro-life in your community and be that coronary disciple that hangs in there for the long term. All right, it's a wrap. Been an honor to have you listen to the Life Changing Discipleship podcast with Matt Freedom. And check out our Facebook page, Life Changing Discipleship. You can find me on Twitter. Please find me on Twitter, Matt Friedman. And check out our books at Amazon.com. Just type in Matt Friedman to the search engine and see what's offered. And always, always tell others about our podcast. Remember this. My wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My wives and their wives thank you. And I can assure that I thank you for listening to the Life Changing Discipleship Podcast today. Love God. Live clean. Keep the faith. Make disciples. God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. <laughs>